This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Getting a little feedback here, but we're going to work all of that out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820. This is the first day of February. It is Wednesday. 2023. Can you believe this? Like the year is going by. So much is going on. Tyree, Tyree Nichols will be uh, laid to rest, funeralized today. We're going to be talking about that, really taking apart this case because the story continues to evolve or change. And as the story changes, it not only becomes uglier. Um, the legal implications change. We'll be talking with uh, excuse me, Attorney C.K. Hoffler about these the different charges, and of course his panel of lawyers, the different charges that would come, and just really the social consequences of this, because people, um, there's a lot of mistrust of all of the authoritarian figures and institutions in our society. No one trusts the Supreme Court. The overwhelming majority of Americans do not. Um, everyone feels that Congress is not doing what they ought to do. Uh, The presidency is mistrusted. Oh, I mean, this is a very, very challenging time. And when you have the police who are so close to us who are with them all day, every day, when you see this kind of behavior and when you hear the kind of rumors and the fact that so many of the rumors are trusted, you know, what are we talking about that? What does that mean? And do people use the police force as their own personal hit squad? That's one of the rumors that's out there, and it's a very dangerous one. But then, as you see, the question is about Preston Hemphill, the white police officer whose actions really initiated all of this. He was in the first stop. He tased, it appears, uh, Tyree Nichols and pulled him out the car. And as he was being chased, he said, I hope they stomp his ASS. <laughs> wow. There's just a lot going on there, everybody, and we want to talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show as um, he is laid to rest, Tyree Nichols, but these stories are not laid to rest, everybody. People are not at rest. I want you to meet me over here at WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota, and meet my morning stars on the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page, and hey, Andre, hey, Daryl, and Shirley from beautiful Philadelphia, and Jewel from fabulous New York, and so many of you. Meet everybody on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Philip is over there, Joyce is over on the Facebook page, and it's just so it's so wonderful to see all of you. Mike down there in Houston, Texas, sending you much love. Everybody, like and share the show. Like and share the show. Like and share the show. Hey, Paula. Hey, Joyce. Like and share the show, please. Like and share the show and continue to tell people about us. Thank you so much for all that you are doing to help the show to grow. So let's get to some of these headlines, everybody. In Chicago, it is freezing. It is absolutely freezing. 26 degrees will be the high today, but right now it's 6 degrees. It's going to be sunny, but it is cold right now, everybody. So please be careful, and um, if you see anyone in the cold, tell them to go to a warming station, police station. Yes, I said that. 
a fire station, a library. No one should freeze. No one should freeze. In the NBA, uh, LeBron James got poster just posted becoming the, the biggest scorer in the history of the NBA. That honor belongs to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's time, but it seems that LeBron is on track to eclipse him. God bless them all. Thank you, Kareem, for all of the thrills you've given us, and LeBron, all the th- thrills you are giving us today. The Clippers 108, the Bulls 103. The Warriors will be playing the Timberwolves tonight. The CDC is urging people to stop using a certain brand of eye drops while it investigates at least 50 infections across 11 states. A formal recall has not been issued, but officials are looking into how the artificial tears led to instances of permanent vision loss, everybody. Wow. Be careful, everybody. A critical White House meeting is set for today between President Joe Biden and the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, over increasing the nation's debt ceiling. Uh, What do you think is going to happen, everybody? Of course, House GOP um, allies want steep cuts to domestic programs that are trimmed to defense spending, all while steering clear of making cuts to programs, the two programs, that would um, give them a lot of voter blowback. That is Medicare and Social Security. Meanwhile, House officials insist that they will not negotiate with House Republicans on the need. Uh, White House officials said they will not negotiate with the House Republicans on the need for Congress to raise a $31.4 trillion borrowing limit and avoid the first ever default, debt default in the history of the country. Do you think that's going to happen? As I shared with you a little bit earlier, a funeral service will be held today to celebrate the life of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols, whose death at the hands of police in Memphis, Tennessee, has sparked nationwide protest over this past weekend and a discussion about policing in America once again. Nichols was continuously beaten after a traffic stop by Memphis police on January 7th. He died three days later. Representing other black people killed by police, Tamika Parker, whose daughter Brianna Taylor was fatally shot in her Kentucky home, home by police during a botched raid in March of 2020, is expected to attend the service along with other parents who lost their children to police violence or inattention. A winter weather system is impacting a large swath of the western and southern U.S. It's causing flight disruptions all across the country. More than 1,400 flights have been canceled today. Everybody, if you've got to fly, and I have to fly in a couple of days, call the airport and check first. Check. Check, 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 check. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santia Jackson Show. I want to know uh, what's on your mind today. Call me and let's talk. Let's talk about uh, what's happening. What's happening with Tyree Nichols and this constantly evolving case. Just, it's just amazing. You know, first it was five and then it was six cops and now it's the EMTs, it's everybody else. And then there's a rumor about a girlfriend and a, and a, a jealous boyfriend that, oh my gosh, it's just a whole lot. And then people who just did not give Tyree Nichols any care as he was struggling to live. So many points at which he could have, his life could have been saved. Didn't happen, not one time. So let us go to Pastor Darius Brooks. Pastor Darius Brooks, I'm, I know we generally have you on Thursday. We won't have you back tomorrow, but I had to grab you today. Um, so many people are so hungry. I want to know how can people come to your church, Grace Central, um, and get something to eat? 
Good morning, Ascension to Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from 5 till 7, and on Wednesdays for the seniors from 12 to noon. We are there every week. So if you know anybody who needs any food, please, gracecentral.net, gracecentral.net. We are here for you. We're here to serve you with servers until the coming of the Lord comes again. So if you know anybody who needs food, please, please, please come to Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. You guys are on the west side, near Hillside, Maywood, in that area. Although I, my address says South 102.16, it's on the west side. Seventeen, I'm excited about this word today. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our pathway. Isaiah 26, 1 and 4. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God, God, God will appoint salvation for the walls and bulwarks. Support and protection is what that means. Open the gates that the righteous nation or the poor people that trust my word no matter what keeps the truth may enter in. You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is trusted in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Sanjeev, if I had to use the thought this morning, I'd use the thought my resolution will always be his solution. Sanjeev, we're to live all we can. But one of the things we must do is keep the mysteriousness of God in our desires. It will be the best of the best because we operate in the natural. You do, I do. But wonderfully, God's divine plan is spiritual perspective. And he's my authority. And if he's your authority, we become clear as we walk individually together. I often share with Grace Central, we're individually together. When we're strong in the Lord, we got to individually be our person so God can really come through for us and really be the authority of our lives. So when we're both on the same place and God is our director, he becomes our authority. One mind, one word, one direction. In communicating in his word to and with each other. As believers, it is how we define ourselves because we're all so different. Santita, all of our stories are different, but we share the same pain. It's called hurt. So when we get on one accord with God's word, we come together to fight what ain't like God. We're together. That's what our strength is, the life he has created for us through him. I was driving the other day, and God gave me this revelation about in the world, and we live in the earth. The earth is the Lord's, he says, and Peter, the enemy, is the prince of the air. Did you catch that? <laughs> God calls <laughs> God calls the world the prince, the prince of the air. That's the enemy. That's why he says be in the world, but not of the world. God created the earth. So in the earth, however, is how we want to create a godly world within this world. Whether there's unity, there is strength. Whether there's two or three gathers together in my name, there I will be in the midst. Which means in the earth, those who operate in the word of God, in the spirit of God, watch this wonderfully and uniquely, create a different kind of world within this world, in this earth, God's way. First, there's the personal covenant and how we use God's word in our own personal lives. And then the other person has a personal covenant. Then he brings us together, girl. And at that point is what the discipline, accountability, responsibility, and using God's word's direction becomes our authority because it's not in the wrong that's in the world. It's in our humanness. Romans seven twenty one says, I find then the law that every time I would desire to do good, evil is always present. God doesn't test us. He can find out about us. God doesn't test us so he can find out about us, Santita. God tests us so we can find out about ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So this creates godly, like-minded family, friends, partners, objectives, worshipers, believers, goals. And God is so cold. He'll teach us how to do wrong right. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> if you're going to do it with like-minded, wrong right people, you better hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. God's purpose is that the earth will be protected and stay the same until he comes. So what's happening, Santita, in the world? I'm glad you asked. How do you make sense out of what's going on with you and me in the world? Want to straighten it out? Want to avoid crazy and pitfalls? Want to have peace and be kept in perfect peace? The belief is to create a God's definition of support and protection of what he promised, which is love, joy, peace, and life, and the more abundantly. Santita, we have to surround ourselves with the right kind of people to just fight the good fight of faith so that we can do our part what God has us in this world. And I close with this. Be careful who you hang around, Mm -hmm. that they don't take off you off your square and you find yourself trying to fix something that you shouldn't have fixed in the first place. When we trust and obey, it's only rightly divided word. He says, in this day, if you trust and obey in this land, in this place, you're going to sing a different song. You're going to have a song with strong people, and even though I don't care about the fight, y'all going to fight so well that I'm going to put a protection up against you that they can't come against you. Here's where he opens the gates to the a nation, which keeps his truth. My word may enter in because you are doing my word my way. I'm going to keep you in perfect peace because your mind is stayed on me, my resolution. Amen, 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 amen. Pastor Darius books the Grace Central Church. What's the address again, and how can we get this food before we bring up Dr. Shanina Knighton? Santita, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from 5 till 7 and every Wednesday from noon till 2. We are here to serve you and have a passion doing it. God bless you. Pastor Darius Brooks. Of course, Dr. Shanina Knight, an infection preventionist. Uh, we are now watching uh, the COVID, uh, well, you know, the extras that we got uh, during COVID, uh, increased SNAP benefits, um, and just all of the assistance that people needed. That's about to be rolled back, everybody. But in the meantime, we, what we need to do as we continue to flesh all of that out and what that is going to mean, we also have to look at, mm, how should I put it, just how we can in, how we can prevent getting infections, how we can do a reset on, on our health. We're so accustomed to being sick or to hearing about sickness. Every other commercial is about is giving you a new medicine. You know, Dr. Knighton has been talking to us about becoming a the CEO, the CEOs of our health, but also to imagine health in a new way. That is, imagine health, reimagine it so that you are healthy. Imagine wellness, not sickness. Can you imagine? When you speak of that, I want you to elaborate on it, just how we can change our thinking, our approach to our own health, being in charge of it, and really developing the expectation that we're going to be well, Dr. Knighton. Good morning, Santita. So that's a very good point. And the thing is, is 
somehow we've come to normalizing illness. And an example of that may be is whenever you work, let's say, in a crowded setting and you say, oh, yeah, like such and such, sick, such and such out. Like, you know, I might have caught what she got. Or I know that that's a, I know I'm going to get sick too because everybody else is sick. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Meaning there's been times in my household where some of us have been ill and others have just not gotten sick. And what does that require? That means that someone has been vigilant about their health, knowing that when they are in a vulnerable situation, meaning that they are around others that are ill, nor when they are having circumstances that could cause them to be ill. They try to do everything to prevent themselves from getting ill. So meaning for individuals that may say, oh my gosh, my job is stressing me out. They may be paying more attention to eating foods that are high in antioxidants and anti-inflammatories just to ensure that their immune system is being kept in balance, knowing that they're up under a tremendous amount of stress. It may be someone deciding to say, hey, I'm going to go to the gym and work out because I know I'm stressed out and potentially I know my eating is not right. So it's really understanding that just how Dr. Deb used to mention the Swiss cheese model of all of these things needing to work together, all of these things typically are impacted when someone ends up ill, but you don't have to end up ill. There are individuals, believe it or not, that during the pandemic can say, oh, my gosh, I spent two or three years without getting sick. And what does that look like? And these are not people that necessarily stayed home. These are people that made sure that they practiced hand hygiene in a correct manner. They made sure that they were putting certain things in their diet. And no, this is not a recommendation, but I know people that would be like, hey, I made sure that I drank lemon ginger, you know, on a daily or weekly basis whenever I was sick. So they mixed up some lemons and some ginger, or they juiced it and they drank it because those things are high in vitamin C and they're high in, you know, being able to decrease inflammation. And so people had their own remedies of things that they did in order for them to stay well. And they were able to say it felt good not getting sick. Now, with some of those same individuals that have let their guard down, that have now been exposed to, let's say, the common cold again, to COVID, to flu, they're looking up and they're like, oh, my gosh, like, how did I get sick? But then they also can say that they are much more relaxed now than what they were before. And so to your point, Santita, as, you know, this administration begins to say that they're going to cut back on all of those COVID-related benefits come May when it comes to SNAP, when it comes to masks, um, when it comes to testing, when it comes to, you know, wanting to inquire about, let's say, minority neighborhoods that might have been heavily impacted for educational initiatives and different things that they were putting around, you know, individuals to level the playing field when it came to disparities related to COVID, all of that stuff is now getting ready to go away. And so the question is, is are you going to normalize being sick again? Or are you going to normalize being 
well and normalizing being well because you know what it feels like to not be sick and you know what it's like to feel like there is a threat such as COVID. And so I remind people, think about the energy that we had at the very beginning of March, late February of 2020, where we did not know what COVID was, we did not know the impact, and honestly, we still don't know the impact. And so we have to normalize what activities we should be doing to stop being ill, being a CEO of our own health, and making sure that when we say we don't know what something is, it's keeping that same exact energy of us practicing prevention so we don't get potentially what may be on the rise. And I've said it before, stay ready so we don't have to get ready. <laughs> Dr. Shanina Knighton, everybody. Hey, Dr. Nina, that's her handle on social media. Follow her. You're going to get more of this and great information. We need it. Coming up, Tyree Nichols. Let's talk about this evolving story with Joseph Kyles from Memphis, the executive director of Rainbow Push there, and Dwight McKee, who, believe it or not, is a nation. Back with more of the San Peter Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Been able to, you know, that's one of the great things I love about doing the show, being able to connect people together. Uh, we've got Joseph Kyle's executive director of Rainbow Push in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, one of the leading so. Um, civic leaders down in Memphis talking to us about Tyree Nichols and, of course, Dwight McKee, Dr. G, brilliant social scientist, one of the founders of Operation Push, actually, and he's with the National Action Network now. He and Reverend Sharpton are like brothers. Reverend Sharpton, of course, will be delivering the eulogy today, and um, so we cannot wait to hear from them. And did you know Dr. D is from Memphis? Yeah, he came up here as a little boy, part of this wave of black people who just really moved out the South behind all of the domestic terrorism. But, you know, and that is part of the American narrative, part of the American story. In the meantime, we have got uh, Shapiro, uh celebrations by us. Shapiro, we're coming into the football season. Everybody is waiting on this historic football. Super Bowl. We're going to have, for the first time, two black quarterbacks starting, starting. But everybody, who you got? The Eagles? Who, who y'all got? I mean, what, 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 what? I want to know. What, do you have Mahomes or do you have... I mean, just talk to me. But you, what, you've given us the food, and I am going to get some of those meatballs and a few other things. I sure am. And I'm going to take them to the party. Good <laughs> <laughs> morning, Santita. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us this morning. Yes, there's celebrations by us. We are gearing up for the Super Bowl as well as also Valentine's Day. So please give us a call at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. We can definitely handle your meatballs as well as your sliders, your honey, honey barbecue wings, your hot wings, your teriyaki garlic parmesan, sweet chili sriracha, whatever it is that you need for the Super Bowl, give us a call, and we'll be happy to get it done for you. Also, Santita, we are currently promoting our 
annual Courtney Copeland Memorial uh, Foundation Gala. That is going to be on March 3rd, 2023, and we're going to be at the JLM Community Center, 2622 West Jackson. So give us a call and visit copelandmemorial.com to purchase your tickets. Thank you so much, Santita. Oh, you are very welcome. Everybody, Tyree Nichols, Tyree Nichols will be laid to rest today, but the issues that his killing, this um, this execution, really, that we have seen, uh, those issues are not going away. Indeed, they're more alive than ever. What about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act? And what about this ever-evolving story, Dwight McKee, <laughs> noted social scientist and Let's start with you, Joseph Kyles, Executive Director of Rainbow Push in Memphis. The story keeps, I'm not going to say evolves. It just, it's not evolving. It's just changing. It seems like every day somebody else was involved, didn't help Tyree, might have been the reason that he was killed. I mean, there is so much going on. Where are we now, Joseph Kyle? Many layers to this story, Santita, and I want to say that Reverend Jackson and I had prayer and a long conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Wells, Tyree's parents, yesterday. Reverend encouraged them. It was a very spiritual conversation, and they were so appreciative, and um, they're thankful to have the love and support of the community. But I would say that when something that Reverend shared with them that while this is a major tragedy in their life and they don't even know how to see past it because this was Mrs. Wells' only son, very close to her son. He was a loving son, loved his his, his four-year-old son. He, he was active in his community. He was not a violent person. He did everything that we teach our children to do. He simply asked, what did I do wrong? We've not seen transparency up to the level of why was the stop made? We heard that it was some driving infraction, but we've not seen that yet. We've not seen the infraction. So there are serious questions on why, first of all, the Scorpion unit was in this neighborhood that was not a high crime area. This neighborhood is pristine, manicured lawns, retired community. This was not a high crime area. This was not a model for the Scorpion unit to even be in. Why were they there 70 yards from where Tyree lived and he could could run and, and, and holler for his mother and scream for his mother. Another thing that is interesting, as we see the dialogue that goes between the city and Memphis Police Department, there was a sky cop, and the sky cop was moving. That means that someone in the, in the, in the crime center, in the 24-hour crime center, was watching this. They were watching this. We haven't you haven't gone up the ladder yet. So we need to ask some serious questions about who all was involved. The DA, uh, Mulroy, has already said that they are investigating thoroughly, but we need more transparency and we need to understand why these officers stopped Tyree in the first place. What is a sky cop? I mean, yes, we're, we're just really beginning to understand all of these, as you said, the different layers here. Because, you know, just what is a sky cop? And then just help us to get people through the layers. So in, in areas, sky cop is an electronic uh, monitoring camera that they put up in neighborhoods that is attached to the 24-hour crime center that's monitored by police officers or police personnel. And so on some of the video, because I have not watched it, I've talked with police, with the with deputy police directors, I've talked with some other folks, but they say that when you, if you watch the hour-long footage combined, 
the sky cop, the top, the camera at the top on that street where they were under, where the five police police officers were under, where they were beating Tyree, was moving. It was capturing everything. And so it is there to alert police when there is wrongdoing. Um, There is supposed to have been a supervisor that came on scene. Uh, We have not heard from what happened with the supervisor, but it all goes back to this. More than 20 minutes after the beating, even when the, the first responders came, uh, the lieutenant who was in the, 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 the truck never got out of the truck, never gave, uh, never checked Tyree's vital signs. He complained of not being able to breathe. That, that This is a systemic culture of impunity. And so we have to ask these questions. Why are we allowing these special units to patrol? It's Gestapo tactics in our own neighborhoods, by our own people, treating our own people inhumanely. We're talking with Joseph Kyle, the executive director of Rainbow Push in Memphis, Tennessee. Indeed, he's the one who's, he is the person who has connected us to uh, Tennessee State Representative G.A. Hardaway, who gave us so much information yesterday and the day before. So much information we received from Memphis attorney Jay Bailey. Uh, he is our man on the ground, and he has been letting us know what has been going on. You know, over the past 24, 48 hours, and quite frankly, I think it's been longer than that. It's just percolated up to the surface. Uh, people have been asking, and I don't, I don't engage in rumor and innuendo, but this is so far out on in social media that it's just something that has to be addressed. Um, and although it has not been confirmed, there, there have been rumors that um, that this is really that the police were used as essentially as a hit squad um, because of uh, because one of the police officers was jealous of the fact that uh, his girlfriend or the mother of one of his children or mother of his child uh, his ex girlfriend was dating uh, Mr. Nichols. And I think even beyond the rumor, I, I mean, if you could address the rumor, because people are saying that it's not true. Indeed, Tyree's father came out yesterday and said that's not true. Um, but the other piece is using the police as a hit squad. I think the rumors have gained so much traction, Joseph Kyles, because particularly those of us who are in the black community, um, we've lived with the underbelly, underbelly, excuse me, if you will, of, of the police. We have seen them at their best, and we have seen them at their worst. That's right. So when we see the worst, we are not shocked. We're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this because so-and-so was doing this on the block. Uh, Officer so-and-so was doing that on the block. Officer so-and-so was going with so-and-so. I mean, just, my goodness, and the whole business of informants anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch was an informant. I loved Huggy Bear, but when I look back, I'm like, <laughs> That's very, very accurate. You know, in order to get to the truth, you have to ask the tough questions. And that's what we're doing as a community. And thank you so much for leading the charge, because we have to be able to trust our media and our press, and particularly African-Americans who are committed to getting to the truth. So that the questions, um, why was that elite unit in that neighborhood? What was the reason for the original stop? Uh, C.J. Davis, uh, the, the chief of police, said that she cannot 
see at this point, and she's not seen what was the reason for the initial stop. And so as things go, uh, Officer Hemphill, initially he was not, uh, the information was not given to the public about his involvement. And so it, it's layers and many layers, and this is what provides distrust and this breeds distrust in the community because we want to know exactly why this young man was stopped. And, you know, just recently we've been dealing, uh, as I said, like many other uh, uh, large urban areas with uh, an uptick in crime, a lot of carjacking, uh, uh, thefts, car thefts. Memphis uh, was under <clears throat> the, the last several months. We were seeing about 100 cars stolen a month. And so while they talk about this Scorpion unit in terms of what they were able to accomplish, there is some serious questions about abuse and operating in impunity and how many other people were treated like Tyree that we don't even know about. Hmm. Amen to that. I mean, and, and why are people pulled over? Because all these days later, this happened January 7th. We still don't know why there's no evidence. No, of, none. of anything that he did that was wrong. None. And he was so peaceful, as, as, as people are saying. What the, the only question, and this is what leads me to believe, there's, there's more to the story as we see. The information that shows what we see as the initial stop, what did I, he asked, what did I do? And they immediately yanked him out of the car. You don't escalate from what did I do to snatching a person out of his car. And so as we talk to our children and, and we advise our children on what to do and how to relate and how to communicate with, with law enforcement, uh, there are procedures. And so this is why we need national legislation. We, we need national legislation that will remute, remove uh, qualified immunity when officers are found to do wrong. Um, because you're going to have to challenge this fact that you can do whatever you want. You have impunity and that the unions and the municipalities and the cities will fight your legal battles. Uh, and, and pay the cost and your pension is untouched. <laughs> this is there's something that's real wrong about this, but it lets you know that they're all in bed together. And they're not, the government is supposed to be protecting us, but they're protecting people who are engaging in criminal acts all right. over the place. It helps you to, it makes you question, you know, wait a minute, who are you representing? Let me, let me bring up Dwight McKee. Um, Dwight McKee, what do you make of all of this? Indeed, Savannah Beckford said the silver lining is that this exposes how much abuse of power is being allowed from a place of policy. It becomes contagious and then it transcends race and gender. This is heavily exposing the imbalances. Well, it sounds like to me, that uh, if it, they had a, a sky cop involved, that he was being tracked, that this was not random, a random stop and search, that they had tracked him from where he was to where he was going and had really kind of set him up to pull him over. This becomes more and more suspect the more information we have because this is starting to look more and more and more like a hit. Mm. It seems as if uh, whether or not it was, the issue is not whether or not he was having an affair with the policeman's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. 
the issue is whether or not the policeman believed that he was having an affair with his ex-girlfriend. And that takes you in another direction. If that, in fact, was the case, then this was a vengeance stop. This was a keep your hands off of my girlfriend kind of stop that escalated and escalated. And it makes you understand why this became so personal. This was not a, you know, random, you're out of control, I want to make sure that you don't run, break and run, and that we have you contained. This was a very personal, very uh, deliberate, very strategic beatdown to send a message to this guy that somehow you are doing something that we don't approve of, and we're going to make it our point to make sure that you understand whatever it is you're about, that we are here to, 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 to deal with that. And why do I say that? Is because even in a situation where a person runs from the police, the police feel like they're threatened, they seek to arrest the guy, and he's hurt in the process, that the... Uh, when an ambulance comes and the the help comes, then they take him and give him some kind of treatment, make sure that he gets to the hospital in time to be treated. For them to come out there for 20 minutes and the police not allow them to treat them and the supervisor stay in the car, says to me is that they didn't want him necessarily to be treated and to get well. And they had no regard for his, his, his life or his safety. And it was complicitous because had they been able to get him to the hospital in time and been able to save him, it may have been a different story, but they allowed him to bleed out. Which mm-hmm. is to me, that was random disregard mm-hmm. for his life. And there was some emotional or uh, investment in him not making it and him suffering. This thing is much, much, much deeper than the uh, the surface would indicate. Hmm. Dwight McKee, everybody, social scientist, and Joseph Kyle, it really does feel very personal. And it makes one question um, the subjectivity of police officers, right? We expect them to be fair and to walk into a situation and not choose sides. I mean, theoretically, that's supposed to be the case, even though we all choose sides. But the question is, your biases, we all have them. We all have prejudices. Mm-hmm. The issue is, what do you do with a second impulse? Because, okay, you might say, okay, now I favor this, but, you know, I need to step back and listen. You know, and maybe it's me, because I'm from a family of five kids, and my parents said, no, 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 we need to hear it all. Mm-hmm. Then we... The two of us, this two-person jury, we're going to make a decision. (laughs) We're not going to jump to a conclusion. We're going to arrive there. But we need to hear it all, and we have to come up with a solution that keeps peace in the house. 
I agree. I think what Brother Dwight brings to uh, to bear is the the fact that these uh, first responders uh, that is a very critical issue. You have to separate yourself from whatever relationships that you might have in dealing with police. But it's your job, your scope of services. You took an oath to value life. And I talk with me. I have many friends who are first responders, who are firemen and EMTs, and they said had they been on that unit, regardless of the officers, they would have taken charge the moment that they come on the scene and there's a person that is injured. They are in charge now. No longer are the police. And they would have admonished the police officers to step back. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I've never heard that before, Joseph. Say that again. When the the first responders, explain that. Explain that. When when a fire police are called to the scene and there is a victim and that victim is is in, in trauma, now police have to step back if the scene is secured, if there is no threats, and 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 the scene was secured because he was sitting there on the concrete, beaten half to death in handcuffs. It is the, 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 the fireman or the EMT, it is their scene at that point. And they should take control and tell the police to step back and then their first job and their only responsibility is to give care to that patient. And that is a major breakdown, and that's what Brother Dwight has, has shed that light on. And I'm sure that the legal team and the city already knows the jeopardy that has happened after the beating because Tyree's life could have been preserved had, had they been, been able to give him uh, the kind of necessary treatment and then get him to our level one trauma center, which is the med. They took Tyree to St. Francis Hospital, which is a geriatric hospital. They had no wait, ability. Wait, 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 what? Yes, they took him to the closest hospital, which was out in East Memphis. And I say again, this neighborhood was not a high crime neighborhood. This neighborhood was not a neighborhood that the Scorpion unit should have even been in. If, and, and I'm sure that they're going to look at the statistics and find out how many car thefts, how many houses were broken into, how, how many vandalisms were going on in that neighborhood. And if that, na- if that was low, then why were you in that neighborhood? And they took him to the closest hospital, which is St. Francis Hospital, which is not a trauma hospital, which is not trained. They don't have the physicians. They don't have the doctors. They don't have the specialists. They should have they should have treated him on the scene, immediately got him to our level one trauma center, which is regional one, which is one of the best trauma level centers in the world. I mean, everything that that there was a a breakdown at every stage when we talk about being a community and being a beloved community where this young man was targeted. It seems like he was targeted. He was beaten. He was left with no treatment. And then at the very last minute, they got him and they put him in a hospital that was not fully equipped to handle the level of trauma that he had undergone. That is unbelievable. They took him to a geriatric hospital. Oh my gosh! This Dwight. I got a couple minutes. Well, about a minute for you, and then I, I mean, Joseph Kyle. And that's what makes it sound conspiratorial, Santita. Is that it's just too many co- quote unquote coincidences that, as Brother Kyle said that they had no real business in the neighborhood. It was not a high-crime neighborhood. Secondly, they're not a unit that deal with traffic stops. That's right. The purpose of, 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 of that crowd. They're a specialized unit that deals in high-volume crime. A traffic stop is not a high-volume crime. 
<laughs> Thirdly, again, the fact that there's a sky a sky cop. You usually only use sky cops when you're dealing with drug bust. Mm-hmm. You take the helicopter and fly out over a drug house. Mm-hmm. And so the, the sky cop would be tracking him from where he left to where he, he, he ended up. And what makes it a sky cop is there's always somebody in the station that views the monitor of where that helicopter is flying or where that drone is flying. And so this the combination of elements suggests that this was a very deliberate act. And the way the policeman, the white police, ran up to the car and yanked him out with no explanation suggests that they were already predisposed to jacking this young man up. And then he said, I hope they stomp his ass. The only reason that the man ran is because they they were stomping him. And they were taking him. And you know what? And wait a minute. The focus, Joseph is going to have to go in about two minutes. And they were in an unmarked car. They were. Right? Plain clothes. Plain he didn't clothes. know if he was... Well, talk to me. Because I, mean, I would think that if you're in an unmarked car and I, you're not identified, really identifiable, identifiable as police, I'm being carjacked. They were, they were in an unmarked car and they were plain clothes officers. And that's why I think this was all a setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles, before you leave, you come from such a profound family. I was raised with Dwayne and Dwayna, and my mother and Reverend Billy Charles were like best friends, and we were all kind of raised together. Yes, sir. So, boy, you just come from a tremendous legacy, and give Dwayne my best. Thank you so much, sir, and I appreciate that. And we just have to say that it was Reverend Kyle's house that. Uh, Dr. King, uh, Jose Williams, and Reverend Abernathy, Reverend Jackson, Ben Branch, the whole staff are on their way to get a fabulous meal cooked by Mrs. Gwen Kyles, who's gone on to glory. And Reverend Kyles has gone on to glory as well. And um, what a fantastic family you are, all of you. And you just continue to serve down through the generations. And, and you just, you're a push baby, and now you're a push man. <laughs> so here you are. You, we have about a... <laughs> We have about a minute left. What do you want us to know as you are on your way to the funeral today, Joseph Kyle? Well, first of all, I'm thankful to have the love and support of such a wonderful community. But in my conversation with Reverend Jackson yesterday, listening to him speak to this family and give them a very spiritual blessing over the phone, I I think about Mrs. Wells and the pain that she's going through and Mr. Wells. (laughs) And what they wanted people to remember about Tyree is that he was such a kind person. He'd never been in an argument. And, you know, you hear parents say things about their children, but not only did the parents say that every person that knew Tyree that was close to him said he was a gentle soul. He had never been in a fight. His brother said he'd never been in a fight in his life. And so, so to have something come and, and, and a sense of evilness to come and attack him, he was overwhelmed. And we just cannot stand by in the community. We are supposed to fight and speak out for the least of these. And Tyree was such a gentle soul. He did not deserve that. No one deserved it. And so we just are thankful that to have uh, you all continue to push in and fight. And I'm thankful to be able to call on on my mentor, Reverend Jesse Jackson, and have those conversations and, and understand that he is c- 
continue to stay in that fight and lift people and fight for the nation, not just Tyreek. Thank you so much. Hey, Joseph Carlos, everybody, executive director of Rainbow Push. Memphis, everybody, let's pray for the Nichols family. And coming up, legal Q&A with CK. What are the legal implications of all of these various scenarios? With more. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I want to hear from you here on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. WCPT, that's right, and everybody's still raving up about the mayoral form. I'm so excited about that. I'm so glad that you all were part of that. Go to WCPT820.com and go to the Santita Jackson and Friends YouTube channel because we streamed it there as well, as did um, and on the, on the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page and on the WCPT820 page. So tremendous. Tipping my hat to the team here at WCPT for putting on such a great event. I'm Santita Jackson coming to you from AM 950 Radio in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the voice of Progressive Minnesota, and WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. We're talking about Tyree Nichols, who will be laid to rest today. But the issues that his killing, that his execution have brought forward will not get an easy rest, everybody. Let's get to some of the headlines, everybody. In Chicago, it's about 8 degrees now. Yes, above zero is freezing. It's sunny, and the high will be 26 degrees. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, is 20 degrees, mostly sunny. In the NBA, LeBron James is closing in on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record. He is on the verge of becoming the highest-scoring NBA player in history. But who can ever forget Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? All the thrills that he gave us, the skyhook, etc., etc., etc. Everybody is great in their own way and in their own era. Congratulations to uh, LeBron James as he approaches this magnificent record. The Clippers 108, the Bulls 103, the Warriors will be playing the Timberwolves, the Timberwolves tonight. And Tyree Nichols will be laid to rest today, everybody. Reverend Al Sharpton will be delivering the eulogy for the 29-year-old. His family are calling it a celebration of his life. Indeed, when he was pulled over at his traffic stop, he was really developing his, his gift as a photographer. He had just finished taking photographs of a Memphis sunset. That's who was killed on January 7th. He died on the 10th. But they effectively killed him on the seventh. Everybody, he was continuously beaten by the traffic stop at the tra- by during a traffic stop. Inordinately, African Americans are killed during traffic stops. We're going to be talking with C.K. Hopper on legal Q and A with C.K. about this issue along with this panel today, so that we can kind of tease out all of the legal scenarios and let us look at these. 1,400 flights that have been canceled today due to weather. Everybody, please call and check and see if your flight has been canceled. I mean, this cold weather, this crazy weather in the western United States, in the southern United States, is wreaking havoc everywhere we go. 
of course, President Biden and Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy will be meeting today about the debt limit. What is going to happen? Will the debt limit be raised or will we go into default? You have some Republicans who push on that. And remember, only one vote can get Speaker McCarthy removed from his seat. The stakes are quite high. Everybody, as we go into legal Q&A with CK, I want you to reach out to Team Hochberg. Because if you want to sell your home, if you want to purchase a new home, they have a new program, Perks at Work, that will enable you to save a lot of money and to make some money. They're offering everyone their Perks at Work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars as you sell or buy a new home. This is how it works. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. That could be a lot of money, everybody. When a Team Hochberg affiliated realtor helps you to purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. That's thousands of dollars, everybody. Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee and their affiliated attorney fee will reduce their fee. That's a lot of money. There's a couple that take close to $9,000 in this Perks at Work program. It could be you, everybody. So I want you to call them at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, or visit them at 56david.com, 56david.com. That's Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. Do you want to save some money? Yes. Do you want to make a little bit of money? That is to say, apply it to your new home. Yes, it can happen. Call Team Hochberg at 855-56-DAVID. That is 855-563-2843 or 56david.com. What about Tyree Nichols? There is so much that we're learning. We just had Joseph Kyles on. Joseph Kyles, uh, who is the executive director of Rainbow Push Memphis, he said, you know, there are many, many things that we're finding out in this case that are disturbing. Among them, we find out that um, when the first responders arrive on the scene, it becomes their scene. They then, um, they're in charge, not the police. The first responder, the fire, the firemen, the EMTs, they're the ones who take over the scene. That did not happen on the night of January 7th. Didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? And what about this evolve, these evolving stories? And what are the legal implications? Okay, if it was five police officers, what are the legal implications of that? Okay, but no, we find out there was a sixth police officer who prompted all of this, Preston Hemphill. Okay. So what are the legal implications for him and the other five? And then we find out about the EMTs who did not take action to help save his life. Legal, implica- legal implications. Uh, what about these rumors about the personal nature, possibly, of, of this execution? Because that's really what it was. We've got a lot to talk about, but it's legal Q&A with CK, and you've got a tremendous panel of lawyers with you today. You can introduce them and just get right to it. And, of course, you've got Dr. D. Dwight McKee, who helps us to understand the sociological, social, cultural, and political implications of all of this. C.K. Hoffer, go for it. Santita, good morning, everyone, to our amazing panel. There are so many legal issues associated with Mr. Nichols' murder. So many legal issues. And I just want to make sure the audience understands when people are talking about the issues, we have to think about parallel tracks. There's the criminal proceeding 
which is holding those police officers who are responsible for his death by beating him almost to death. I believe he died, like you said, Peter, right there at the scene because he was knocked into, he was beaten into oblivion. So it's their, their actions, their violations of police policies and procedures causing criminal activity and criminal liability. That's the criminal trap where there are prosecutors that will indict and pursue a case. I, put, I believe that's going to happen. We don't know, but I believe it's going to happen. There certainly is enough evidence. And so think of that in the, in, the, in the same way that you would think about the police officer, the police officers that were responsible for the death of George Floyd. That's a criminal proceeding. But when we talk about the legal issues associated with the paramedics, the decisions for people to um, take them to one hospital, not another hospital, potentially what the hospital should have done when he arrived there. And also the excessive use of force by the police officer, those are all issues that can be raised in a civil case. A civil case would be a wrongful death case, potentially a medical negligence case, potentially, against various parties for failing to, to, to abide by or to live up to or to comply with a standard of care. That's a civil track. So let's talk about where the legal issues arise on the civil track. We talked about the criminal track. Well, at the scene, certainly with the beating, um, the policies and procedures that were in place, the police chief said that they, when she watched the, the film herself, and the reason why she suspended them right away and took immediate and prompt action was because there were several violations of internal policies and procedures. And so from a civil standpoint, when you file a civil lawsuit, when you have cities that settle cases for civil and civil cases and pay money in criminal cases, you go to jail In civil cases, you pay money. It's because there've been violations of policies and procedures. That could be one reason. For instance, in that circumstance, when there's a traffic violation, do you beat someone nearly to death? The answer is no. There is no way, no how, no explanation, no justification that would warrant beating someone to death for a traffic violation, even if they run and flee. So that's one. There are policies and procedures in place. Another thing, the number of police officers, that unit, which is supposed to be a highly trained unit going into infiltrating the community to try to, to stop you know, serious crimes, not traffic violations, but serious crimes. There are probably violations of policies and procedures related to that. Should they have been there in the first place? But then let's talk about, so we get to the beating. Many violations that would be outlined in a civil complaint because the damages were what? His death. So that would be laid out in the civil context. But then we go beyond that. The emergency responders, the first responders that got on the scene, who was supposed to take control and administer medical attention to him? You don't sit around and talk and, and pontificate when someone is dying there in front of you when you're a first responder. You must go into immediate action. There are protocols there. Again, things will be raised in a civil context, potentially criminal, but definitely civil context. When you sue um, first responders, it's usually, you know, with the ambulance, the EMS. A lot of times you see that in a civil case. Then we go to the decision to take him to, I can't even say geriatric facility, a facility that clearly when he is, and they have, they have, they have to assess him. And they have to make a decision right there where to take them. Now, a lot of times first responders will take you to the first facility based on how they think your condition is. But when you have major trauma that was evident to the naked eye, 
you and, and there's a trauma center that's close by, conditional wisdom and judgment would be that you would go to that trauma center. That's another legal potential area for legal liability. The decision to take him to a geriatric facility. Now, these are first responders, so they know what the facilities are, are, are good at. That's the part of their training. If they didn't know that, there's an issue with their training. There's an issue with negligent hiring. Because if they had nov- people who were novices on the scene who didn't know what they were doing, that's going to be an issue as well for the EMS, for all of their supervisors. So once he gets to this geriatric facility, a facility that's not equipped at handling his condition, there could be medical negligence. Again, this is a civil issue. What's medical negligence? Well, those doctors, those nurses that are on duty have a duty to administer care, proper medical attention and care according to a standard of care in their profession. When you see someone who is in a condition and you, and you want to stabilize them, but if there's a facility that's across town that is better suited at treating him because you all don't have the facility to do that, then potentially there's a duty that would kick in that they would have to transport him if he's able to be transported. There could have been medical reasons where he may not have been able to be transported immediately, but they may have had a duty. What kind of care was he administered? Were there delays? All of that would be in the medical records because you can look at the time he came in, the care that he was administered, who did what, where, and when. These are all civil liabilities. So he, in my impression, based on the evidence that I've seen, he should have been transferred to another facility that is equipped at handling trauma. Actually, one of the best, not in the state, in the country. And so those, St. Peter, are some of the legal questions associated with the actions, both civil and criminal. I predict that a criminal proceeding will happen very quickly. The civil um, part of it, and I say very quickly, very quickly in the context of, you know, police officers being indicted, because the chief of police has been very, very, um, very, very responsive, very responsible, very fast in, in her triage of this. And quite frankly, now we see that it can be done quickly. We don't need months and months and months and months and years in some instances to review a tape to determine whether there's been a violation, a deviation, whether criminal charges should be brought for prosecutors to look at it. A lot of this, in some instances, is political. So now we're seeing a political machinery working the way that it should when there is clear excessive use of force, clear abuse of power, clear neglect in terms of medical attention, and all of these things. So people, I believe, in this instance, will have to be held accountable and more than likely will be held accountable and, and, and it's sad that this happens over and over and over and over again, like a broken record. I've done so much legal analysis on these types of cases until I wish I didn't do analysis on these types of cases. But, Santita, we have an extraordinary panel that look at the, these types of cases from different standpoints. We've got Daryl Jones, who's the chair of Transformative Justice Coalition. He has, he's a great civil rights lawyer. He's a great criminal defense lawyer. He's a great social justice engineer. He's a great voting rights advocate. He and Barbara Arnwine have done with no organizations in recent, new organizations, taken, the, the, taken a page out of what your dad has set forth in terms of voting rights advocacy and working closely with all the voting rights advocacy groups and making a difference. Okay, now, CK, you're sounding a little muddied. I just want to make sure you sound clearer. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me, let me adjust that. Um, so Daryl Jones, okay. I was going to ask Daryl Jones to comment. Okay, and Daryl, everyone, we have, we've got to be out of here in about seven minutes. So I want everyone, if you don't mind, limit your comments to just under a minute. 
Okay, sure. Thank you, Cynthia, uh, and good morning, CK. You're absolutely right. The summary that you've given of uh, of what's happening here with with this case is just spot on uh, with Tyree's case. The big thing I think that's going to come out, one of the big things that's going to come out is that you're going to see a lot of negotiations going on for both the criminal side as well as the civil side is what I would suspect. And a large part of that will be because, you know, if you get to the civil part of that, when you get into the discovery aspect, that's when you're going to be finding out all of these rich details that have not been disclosed, not only with regards to uh, the, the five officers that were charged with the murder, but additionally information with regards to the patterns and practices of the police department. All of that will become at issue uh, in a civil trial, and they're able to disclose and, and discover all of that information. When we go through the criminal side of this, on the criminal side of this, we're, you know, we're going to be getting some of that information, but not nearly as much information as we'll receive uh, on the uh, civil side of it. So as this, uh, move, as this uh, case proceeds, I uh, anticipate that what will happen is that the city of Memphis will be trying to limit uh, their exposure because they've already have great financial exposure, but they're going to try to limit that exposure by trying to push this case toward a settlement and not have what I call an Emmett Till moment where they open up the casket and they see everything that's in that Memphis Police Department's uh, policy with regards to uh, pattern of practices uh, practices uh, regarding these types of cases. So that's what I anticipate uh, happening in this particular type of situation with these uh, with these officers. Okay, Aaron Connolly, your thoughts. Well, good morning uh, to all of the morning stars out there, and uh, thank you for having me this morning. Um, I think CK and Daryl described the the issues really well of of the differing responsibilities we have. We have the officers, we have the EMTs, we have medical professionals at the hospital, and ultimately everyone breached their legal duty of care of this young man. And as he's laid to rest today, let us think about how we can best shine a light on the the smaller corners that are cut when we see duty of care being breached, right? This is a system that builds on itself. When these small injustices are, are let to stay, what we see is a system that allows this type of predatory behavior by the police department, by the EMTs that show up to the scene that don't question what is happening, that don't administer care immediately. Um, so this is not something that just occurs in a city like Memphis, but many cities and municipalities across the country. So um, those system issues are going to be what can prevent this next tragedy. But ultimately, there are so many questions that need to be answered. And thank you to Dwight McKee for walking us through some of the, the questions that we still have. I think we have a lot of news to process over the next few days. And um, as he's laid to rest today, let's Let's all be prayerful in in our thoughts. Amen. Mark Fancher, got about a minute, minute and a half for you. Well, the the continuing concern that uh, I have is that so many hope that by filing civil litigation, that that is one way of uh, holding uh, everybody who's involved accountable. And unfortunately, the way that the law is structured and the way that uh, business is conducted in most municipalities, 
uh, even if you sue the police officers, the emergency response personnel, and whoever else is involved, uh, that more often than not, if not always, uh, those individuals who are most culpable, those who are the ones who administered the beating, those who, who were actually on the front lines, on the ground, doing all of the things that everybody's upset about, they never have to pay a dime. Uh, that because when there is a settlement or there's a judgment that's entered against them, uh, they, the municipality usually indemnifies these individuals. Uh, and so the practical result of civil litigation very often is that the people who did the worst, uh, who committed the worst acts, those who are most culpable, never have to pay a dime. It's the rest of us. It's the taxpayers uh, who end up paying for their misdeeds because the money comes out of the municipal treasury. And that is a fatal flaw in the system that we have and one that is a matter of continuing concern to those who hope that, the, that by litigation we will in some way provide incentive uh, to public uh, employees, most specifically police, uh, to reform their conduct. Mm. C.K. Hoffler, i got about a minute before we go to break. I mean, well, you know what, Dwight? Got a minute before we go to break. What you got to say? I know C.K. Well, we all want to hear what you got to say. We want to we wanna hear what Uncle Dwight has to say. <laughs> well, the more I listen, the less this sounds like a random stop and the more it sounds like a strategic hit. I couldn't figure out how this kid who was running away from five or six all overweight policemen who couldn't really chase him, how he, a hundred yards from his mother's house, got caught. And now I kind of, I see that the reason they were able to catch him, a hundred yards is less than the, the length of a football field, is that they had a sky uh, cam. He was being followed by a helicopter or a drone. This guy was being pursued. This guy, this guy was a victim of a strategy to take him out. And so when you look at all the evidence, uh, a unit who's in a, a, a part of town where there's not a high crime unit, the fact that they are not a unit that even is, is equipped to do traffic stops, the fact that they all were able to uh, focus on him at the same time and jump out and beat him down with no questions being asked. And how they staged the fact that he was resisting arrest, knowing that they had him in such a way that he could not resist arrest, the more it looks like a strategic hit to me. And I think that these charges, when the evidence is set up, will be upgraded from second-degree to first-degree murder. I think it was premeditated. And that's why I said that the issue is not as much as was he having an affair with the policeman's ex-girlfriend as much as did the policeman believe that he was having an affair. So that it could be true or not true, but if he believed that and he was trying to exact vengeance and using his homeboy for the purposes of exacting vengeance. Hold that, hold that thought. Hold, hold that thought. i got to run to this break. Back in just a moment. More of the Santita Jackson Show.
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Real Q&A with TK. We're going to have John Nichols on on Friday to talk about this case and what's happening with Ilhan Omar and these other Democrats who've been removed who have been removed, removed from these important committees. Wow, and they're really going after Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman from Minneapolis. Wow, can't wait to talk about that. And everyone, you know what, I just said to CK, I have to say this before we switch back into this. The other day I had one of, uh, just a wonderful experience. I went to one of my favorite restaurants in the world. It's called Pearl's Restaurant, Pearl's Restaurant. And it's a great soul food restaurant here in Chicago. Um, I believe Dwight is on 39th just off Michigan Avenue and it is owned by a guy I went to. I don't, I I don't know if you know that the owner Jr. and I were in kindergarten together. That's part of the reason that I go and my father goes, my whole family, we all go, Oh yeah. He and I were in kindergarten together and I just had such a great time. Not only did I have a great time, but I got some great food. I love their succotash. I go there for succotash and, and pork chops and, macaroni cheese and everything. So everybody get on over there because we love that restaurant. And I'm going to have him on next week because he, they are looking for servers. And believe it or not, these servers make a lot of money, but people are not willing to go in and do that work now in this post-pandemic world. So he and I are going to be talking about that next week. But I just thought about that because I think I wanted some grits and some, and some pork chops. Oh, CK, we can cue it. I was having a foodie moment, CK. I, was, I couldn't help. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm with Santita. I'm with you. <laughs> no, but but Santita, when we're talking about all the, we were talking about some of the legal ramifications. What does this mean legally? What does it mean socially? What could happen? I think we need to pause a little bit about the charges. What they can expect in terms of charges. And I think our guest who had, who's from Memphis, who has law enforcement background and who, who's or who's been in government, to a government background, was making a comment at a break. And I think we should talk about what types of charges would be appropriate. My belief is that mm-hmm. the highest criminal charges available out there should be put on each one of those officers that beat him, as well as the officers or law enforcement that stood by watching and pontificating. That's my view. Hey, CK, before, before we do that, you know what? We have a call from South Carolina. Daniel, I just saw that come up. And CK, if you don't mind, let's, let's hear what he has to say, okay? Absolutely. Daniel from South Carolina, what's on your mind? Uh, exactly the topic you're talking about. And if I may first slightly digress with the reason I'm calling is I was listening to MSNBC, and I don't know if I should be happy or pissed off by the fact that law enforcement officials are saying the problem is there's a lower standard of hiring. And I'm a new hire because of the left. And I'm sorry, I'm not addressing that without running. But they're saying that because of the left, they can't get good quality people. Because the pressure from the left is saying the left does not want cops beating minorities anymore. And I'm sorry, but that's good. I mean, if people are not becoming police because they can't beat minorities, that's a victory. All right. So I don't know if I should be upset if they're trying to blame us or happy that that's a sign that it's working. <clears throat> Excuse me. So hmm. to agree with CK, 
um, before I was a cop, I was a firefighter EMT. So if I stand there and watch a guy die, I am a trained professional. That's a failure to act. That's negligence. There's all kinds of stuff that I am liable for. And we know that. Uh, to counter what another one of your callers said, it really doesn't matter if he was having an affair with the cop's ex-girlfriend. Nothing mm. warrants what we saw. So if I'm a cop and you try to fight me, I can defend myself. I can't beat you up. That's police brutality. I am able to go one level above you. So if you and I get into a fight and I, you know, get on top of you, the fight's over. The fight's over. My job is to cuff you, not to continue beating. There is no circumstance. If, if, if Tyree Nichols was guilty of murder, I can't beat him. I can't shoot him. My job is not to deliver quote unquote justice. My job is to get him to his day in court. All right. So there is like nothing matters except for the fact that they beat a guy to death. All right. Hmm. There, there is no circumstance that should be allowable. That's the bottom line. They beat they beat a guy to death. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Like that, but no no crime that he committed has a death a street death sentence. There is no such thing as a street death sentence. The only the only reason I can give you deadly force is if you are trying to kill me or you are trying to kill someone else. Clearly, we didn't have that. All right. I'm not saying that the, the reason for the stop is wrong. I don't know anything about the reason for the stop. But I watched a video where two cops hold a guy while other cops take turns beating the guy. There's, there's, no, there's no justification for that. And I think the highest bar for assault would be A.B. Han. They don't have that. Uh, uh, you might be able to go for the cop with the taser for uh, assault and battery of high and aggravated nature. The rest of them. I would give every one of them maybe first, even even if they were holding them, even if they were standing by. And what pisses me off is this is why I became a cop. I became a cop after George Floyd because I am not going to hold a guy down while another cop kills him. I'm not going to hold another guy up while another cop beats him. And I told everyone I work with this, I will have your back, but I'm not going to do this sort of thing. Mm. So this is, this is open and shut in my opinion. Oh, you, you just had a whole lot. I mean, Dwight, he, he resonated with you. Why? Uh, because he, as a policeman, understands his responsibility as a policeman, and which it seems to be fairly rare these days. That he seems to be really about protecting the public, uh, and as opposed to protecting the police. And even though I think the police need to be protected, I don't think that they have to be abusive to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I just congratulate him that he had enough and and boldness for the police force. All right. Operating his convictions. Mm. CK, you pick it up from here. I'm so glad we were able to get him in. Well, I am too, Santita. It's important to hear the side of law enforcement. We have some, we do have some very good, wonderful police officers and law enforcement out there who are fighting the good fight every day, who understand what excessive use of force is, who understand the rules, and they live by the rules. 
Unfortunately, it is those officers who don't that put a stain in Catholic version, to put a really a stain on the profession and that we have to look out for. And, and that's why we have to put in place, I believe, federal measures, one system. Mm-hmm. So there's continuity and consistency of laws. You know, while the president and them are and people on the Hill are debating all these different things, they should be, again, debating and passing a George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that would address some of these issues that we saw in this case yet again, yet again. I mean, it it just, it it reeks of just negligence that members of Congress are not doing more to pass a federal law that would address these issues. They need to get back at the table. They need to introduce, because they get it now, introduce new legislation to get this done. But they're not going to feel the pressure to get it done if in their communities people don't think it's a priority. It should be a priority. How many times are we going to have to speak and hear on TV and do legal commentary and dissect and analyze the the various deviations of standard of care, policing practices, negligence, criminal negligence, civil negligence? We could go on. I could draft a 110-page complaint behind all of the wrongdoings in this case. And that's, I'm, I'm being serious about that. There's so many different angles. And that is a tragic, that is tragic. It's a travesty that it continues on. So I'm glad that this police officer stood up and is making these comments because he does understand his responsibilities, as Dwight McKee said. And, and I think that's what we need. We need more law enforcement step, stepping up, standing up, and understanding their responsibilities. I believe the chief of police understood the responsibilities immediately, but for her prompt and swift action, we may not be at this point. Eventually, the evidence would have come out, but we may not be at this point, Santita. But I, I'd like to hear what the panel thought about this officer who just spoke. I thought he made some excellent comments that we need to bring into the discussion. Okay. Well, CK, call him out. Daryl? I know you have something to say, Daryl, about that. Oh, no, absolutely, CK. And, you know, again, you know, I, I commend the officer for standing his ground and standing his principle uh, with regards to, you know, what he would do if he saw uh, his fellow officers doing something that was illegal. Uh, that's what we need every officer to be able to do is to take that stand. And I tell you, you know, very interestingly, uh, if he took the opposite stand in the state of Tennessee, they have what's called the, the felony murder rule. So, you know, when uh, during the break, we're talking about the conspiratorial liability of the officers and what they should all be charged with. Well, under this felony murder rule, what, what would happen is this, is that it did not have to be the intention of the officers going in to kill somebody for them to be charged with this fel- uh, charge as a felony murder, all of them. What the only thing that would be required is that they had to know that they were committing a felony at the very beginning of what was going on, which is what I think Hemphill was doing when he's pulling this guy out of the car for, for no reason and, 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 and commences to try to, uh, to tase him. And so that begins the felony. Once that felony begins, everybody that's part of this chain of activities becomes uh, part of the felony murder rule, and they can all be charged with the felony murder. And I think that's what uh, Dwight McKee was making reference to, to, to uh, holding all of the officers equally accountable. 
That, I think, is what applies in this particular case. So hearing uh, the caller call in and say that, you know, he would be the one to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. And I'm and I'm turning on you guys for doing it. I'm going after you guys. That's precisely what should have happened with the Tyree Nichols case, which is why we ended up where we end up in this case, because none of the officers had the guts, the integrity to stand up and do the right thing. Well, Mark Fancher. Your thoughts? Well, I, I, I join in uh, applauding uh, the officer uh, who chooses to demonstrate courage uh, and to say what's right and hopefully to do what's right. But I think that at bottom, uh, that's what the big problem is, is that there is cowardice at every level. Uh, there's cowardice on the street by police officers who see uh you know, crimes being committed by their fellow officers and they're unwilling to speak out. Uh, they're not courageous enough to do that. And there's certainly cowardice among the politicians and elected officials who know better. Uh, they recognize that the system of policing that we have generally is not what communities need. We no longer need that. We never needed it, but we definitely don't need it uh, in light of the recent history of so many uh, black people in particular losing their lives or being jailed uh, uh, unlawfully or being beaten or in other ways suffering at the hands of police officers. Uh, if they know because they're in elected positions and they run governments, they understand that the types of emergencies that most communities face do not require the kinds of people who populate police departments. Uh, they know that most of the emergencies that uh, their, their citizens uh, are dealing with are things that involve drug overdoses, uh, conflicts and squabbles between neighbors, uh, people who are having mental health emergencies, homeless people, things like that. That's what, that's what most of the calls that come into the police are for. And the officers who are inclined or predisposed to commit the kinds of crimes that were committed against Tyree Nichols are not the people who are appropriate to respond to that. But these officials, these politicians, don't have the courage to take a stand and to say we're going to remake our public safety agency because so many of them campaign on uh, a, a call for cracking down on crime. Uh, and they exaggerate, inflate uh, the the threat that's posed by violent crime, and in order for them to get votes and to scare voters into uh, voting for them, uh, they create a threat that does not necessarily exist, and after they're elected, they can't then uh, do an about-face and say, you know, things aren't what I said they were during the campaign, and so they make good on maintaining uh, the same type of law enforcement operations that we've had for generations. So what's called for right now is an end to cowardice and some return to courage by all of those who are in any way involved uh, with this system. Mm. Uh, Aaron Connolly. Aaron, what's on, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm processing all of this in uh, through the eyes of what we hear from the candidates for mayor of Chicago right now in comparing what their policies look like for our ideal police services. Let's call it. Well, hold on. Well, let's go right there. What about, because we have two candidates, prominent, prominent candidates who are campaigning on law and order. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I know you're edging up to do it. Let's get right, go right to the heart of it. Well, and we saw the fraternal or police um, release their endorsements this week as well in the city of Chicago, too, right? So I, I think it's really important as voters are coming into the last 28 days before the first uh, cycle in these municipal elections of what this means for your city, what policies are in place in your city, how much is being paid out currently for police misconduct and violence, and what is the plan to look at our police system as a whole, fill the gaps that are necessary, but instead of doubling down on people's fear of crime, which is technically down in the city of Chicago, (laughs) despite the mail that you may be receiving in your mailbox, and despite the feeling that is whipped up in this city to make sure that people can use this as an issue in this election, right? And so I encourage everybody that's looking at this the same way and asking these hard questions, what is the plan? Are the these candidates proposing that police go through the same training that doesn't seem to be working, that produces hours-long waits for emergency situations? Do they want to hire more officers under this this? same system without making any changes? Or are they serious, really serious about asking the hard questions and looking at this budget in a way that can make some changes and make everyone in our city safer? Whether you're pulled over by police, whether you're calling police for an issue in your neighborhood, or whether that police officer is in your neighborhood school and you're worried about how your kids are being treated. So there's there's so many issues that I'm looking at right now, but I'm zeroing in on the city of Chicago and the choice that we have to make coming up and who is going to lead ultimately uh, this very powerful, very wealthy department that obviously in every city in America can kill you if it's not managed properly. Right. And we're thinking about that young man today and his family and hearing him cry out for his mom. Etched in my heart, Santita, and I, I, I just, I, I, I can't unhear it. It's terrible. <laughs> wow, what did right. you say? You can't unhear it. No, no. I mean, you're a mom. I mean, you're like you can't unhear it. I and mean, then when you hear him as a, whether he was a grown man or a child, hear him screaming for his mama. Goodness gracious, Mark Fancher, it's a whole lot. It, it really is. And, um, you know, I think that particularly on a day like today, uh, when uh, Tyree Nichols is being laid to rest, that we keep in mind that for him as an individual, uh, he has gone to glory. Uh, there is a video of him skateboarding that is going viral uh, on YouTube. And, uh, you know, even though he's on a skateboard, he looks like he's flying. Uh, and he's, he was, had amazing skills, but it was really poetry in motion. And I think we have to remember that, that uh, God blessed his soul. Uh, he blessed him while he was on this earth, and that he has blessed him even more in a heavenly realm. And he is literally flying now uh, through a glorious heaven. Uh, so we celebrate him, and we celebrate the glory that he has gone to. But I think it's a time to mourn not for Tyree Nichols, 
but to mourn for our society. Uh, because while his quote-unquote death really represents eternal life for him, our society, as Dr. King predicted, uh, is approaching if it has not already reached a spiritual death. And I think that it requires some reflection on all of our parts about where we stand in terms of our relationship uh, to our Creator and what He wants for us and who He wants us to be. And I think that if we think about it long enough and hard enough, uh, we'll come to the conclusion uh, that we have not been measuring up, that there's a whole lot more that all of us need to do in order to demonstrate more courage, more commitment, uh, to try to bring about a different type of a reality uh, for those of us who are going through what is indeed a national nightmare. It is a national nightmare. I mean, you got it, CK. Uh, well, Santita, I know as we're wrapping up, I'd like everybody um, to just very quickly say, where do we go from here? What's next? Starting with Dwight. And we, absolutely. And everybody, you got 30 seconds. And we got two minutes. Uh, I think the mob just hit it on the head. I think it really, the violence started in your spirit. And that until we really spiritually learn to study war no more, till we spiritually learn to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, till we make a spiritual adjustment in our accountability, not just to society, but to God and ourselves, we will keep being here in the same circle, um, operating in the brutality and the sinful nature of man. I think it really starts... We need to be born again and recommit to those tenements of the, the patriarchs, of uh, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Christ, whether it's Allah. It's those great religious leaders that tell us that we all one brotherhood, it's brotherhood of man, and we hold ourselves uh, accountable unto that fact. Hmm. Well, you know what? Let's, uh, Aaron. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just a, a little more emotional this morning than than I was expecting with this with this conversation. Um, and I I thank uh, Attorney Sancher for that beautiful image. I think of this young man skateboarding into the sunset. I think I think those are the, the pieces that I'm trying to hold on to. This has been a tough week to describe news to children and asking some of these hard questions about um, why someone who doesn't do something wrong ends up hurt like this. So um, sorry for coming in a little late there, but I, I had some some questions going on with with my nine year old as to um, why this person had had to die and that it doesn't seem fair. So um, there's going to be a, a, a lot of big talks in in families this week, and I think holding on to that that prayerful mindset and coming back to the fact that this is not just about police policy, but this is a family 
that this is a young man whose life was extinguished. This was a father um, and coming back to the humanity that we often let slip away. And certainly these officers let slip away when this young man was in front of them and they had a duty of care to protect him. And, and again, did not observe it. CK, I got about that less than a minute for you. Well, Tyree could have been Ozzy and AJ, my son. That's why, for me, every day is a fight for this. We've got to do better. Certainly spiritual refocusing, but also pushing our members of Congress to pass federal legislation. Accountability, where we can actually also, forgive me for being a lawyer, but sue police officers. Hold them accountable, not just have insurance policies to take care of them. Accountability can change behavior, but we also have to be recentered, spiritually centered, without a question. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know what? If you all want to stick around for a couple of minutes after we get off, uh, off of WCPT, you can do that. But um, everybody, please like and share this show on YouTube and on the Santita Jackson and Friends page. Pass it along and pray for Tyree Nichols' family. The last photographs he took just before they killed him, the police killed him, were of the sunset. And he is... As you said, Reverend Mark Fancher, he has gone on to glory because that is eternal life. But while we're down here in this life, what have we learned? What are we learning? What are we teaching? Think about that, everybody. What if this were your son, your brother, your husband, your partner? What, what if? Think about that. No one deserves what happened to him. Nobody. And what about what's on the what's on the minds, what's on the consciences of those police officers? I hope this is. I don't want them to have lost their humanity either. I want them to regain it. God bless you, everybody. Thank you, Henry, for a great show. Love you. God bless you. Until tomorrow. Be well. Be blessed.